Let us pray as we turn in our Bibles to Matthew 23. We will read the verse 12 verses of Matthew 23. And uh, let us pray together before we do that. Father, again, we come into your presence. We ask your blessing as we gather. We do it in your name. We do it because you have commanded that your people gathers to read the scriptures, to expound on them, to exhort on the scriptures, to have fellowship with one another, to sing praises to you. Thank you for allowing us to do that. We pray for you to be honored and glorified, not only here, but in every place where there's a gathering of your people in local churches, and your word is being expounded and read and explained and preached. We pray your blessings upon them. We pray your kingdom to grow and to come, your will to be done, in your name, in the name of your Son, to be exalted. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. The word of God reads, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. And they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, but they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honors at feasts and the best seats at the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, but you have, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And that is a reading of God's word. Perhaps many of you have observed children playing at a McDonald's playpen. Perhaps you remember when your parents took you to play at a McDonald's playpen or maybe at the park. And if you are careful observing, you realize that after give or take five to ten minutes, those children know and treat each other on a first name basis. And they play with one another and they talk to one another openly and it is like if they would have known themselves forever. Perhaps you realize why you have some friends from childhood that even if years go by without seeing them, when you see them again, you reconnect like if there would have never been an interruption. There is an explanation to that. It's a human explanation. Jesus appealed to the explanation to that. He says, you have to become like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because children do not have all those layers of protection we build as, the, as time passes us and we bury ourselves in that face-saving attitude and demeanor 
and behavior we adopt when we are with one another. The same children, 20, 30, 40 years into the future, you put them at a convention, you put them at a workplace, you put them at a gathering, even as this one in church, and what happens? There's this barrier. There's this distance. There's these walls we build with one another. And the real us is buried deep down there. Intimacy is buried as layers of performance are raised. It happens with every month, day, year we live. Most of us play at least three roles in life. We play the professional role. We play the public persona, social media role. And then the real us. Which one is the real us? Which one is really who we are? C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe there are too many practitioners in the church who are not believers. I'll say it again. I believe there are many practitioners in the church who are not believers. I was talking to a friend of mine, one of my childhood friends, who happens to be a pastor at a church and also works in missions. And we were talking about some Roman Catholic friends in particular. And he was telling me, I don't know, this person seems to understand the grace and the gospel. And I wonder, and he says, yeah, there's people outside our walls who understand the grace and the gospel. And there are people inside our walls who do not. And we just assume that because we gather together, we are in the same boat, but we may not be. Stephen Charnock, the Puritan, wrote, It is a sad thing to be Christians at dinner, at the dinner table. Heathens at work, in his days he wrote at the shop, and devils in our closets. can be very Christian when we're praying with people around us. But somehow at work we adopt a different personality. I remember somebody who used to work with a person from this church who is no longer in this church. And this person would tell me, you do not know that woman. It's a completely different person at the office. Nothing to do with what she portrays for you guys in Cornerstone. And then in our closets, in our real us at home, when nobody sees and when who we really are shows up, because who we really are shows when nobody's watching. Then, Sharnock says, they are devils. Psalm 15 describes Jesus. All of the Psalms describe somehow, some way, our dynamics with the person of Christ or his own life as he pulled from the Psalms many times to describe himself or describe him. Psalm 15 describes Jesus in a real sense. And it says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The answer is nobody. Nobody can do that. No man can see God and live. But then the psalmist writes, well, there's one who can do that. The one who walks blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks truth from his heart, whose tongue utters no slander, 
who does no wrong to his neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change his mind, who lends money to the poor without interest and does not accept a bribe against the innocent, whoever does these things will never be shaken. Well, there's only one person who was really that, and it was sinless Jesus, our Savior. Now, those who follow him, those who believe in him, are called to walk in his footsteps. So in a sense, that's something we aim at as we try to be imitators of Christ. But then, where do we start understanding that imitating Christ is being who we are in all of the spheres where we operate? Well, we have to understand the mask of religion. And Jesus, in those first 12 verses of Matthew 23, addresses that mask of the religious hypocrite. Many of us, probably most of us, likely all of us, including young people and children sitting here, occupy public places. We operate in spheres that are visible and public and spheres of influence. Somehow, some way, one way or the other, all of us are influencers. We may not be viral. But we do have a sphere of influence. Which of the three are we? Because in those spheres where we are influencing, in those public spheres, is when the sin of pretension and hypocrisy creeps in, sometimes even unnoticed. And it touches everything we do. It was the Puritan John Owen who said, Sin is so real to us that even in the most noble, pious act we can do, sin is present. In our loftiest prayer, in our grandest moment of devotion and of love to the Lord, enough sin to cast us to hell is present. We need grace all the time. In those public spheres, the sin of hypocrisy and of pretension is present. How many times have we not been just mad at our boss, ready to say something, and he goes, hello, how are you? Yes, uh, what can I do for you? Hypocrisy. Just changing quickly our spheres. Four things are described about religious hypocrisy, about the Pharisees. And lo and behold, we always think, oh, the Pharisees, that pastor I left, that priest I left, that person I met. Please turn the mirror and put it in yourself. As many years ago, I had to do that, and it was one of the most painful experiences that I remember going through when I discovered I was the Pharisee. I was the person Jesus is talking about. And for decades, I thought he was talking about someone else. But it was me he was describing. Well, here's four things Jesus says about this Farash, the separate ones, the ones who started even from the days of Ezra when he had the Levite instruct the people in the law of God and translate it for them and explain it to them. And this cast of teachers, of people who were there to bring people to the Lord, arose and they became the Pharisees and the scribes and the doctors of the law. What is the first thing Jesus says about them? Verses 1 to 3. 
He says religious hypocrites have spiritual authority. Jesus says to the crowd in the chair of Moses, the Pharisees and the scribes seat, do whatever they do. Whatever they tell you to do, do it. Why? Well, probably Jesus is describing the format of the synagogue. Our gathering, this gathering, comes somehow, someway from that synagogue format. In a city, less than 10 people, less than 10 men could form a synagogue. And in that synagogue, basically what they did was to read the Torah, to read from the law of Moses. They could also read from other writings of the Old Testament. Somebody would explain or exhort from that reading. They would pray and then they would sing a psalm. And the format could be starting with a singing or ending with a singing. Regardless, that was a simple format in the synagogue. And there was a precedent of the synagogue, but that person was not the pastor or the teacher. Anybody could teach. And you could read that in the New Testament when Paul would be traveling and the president of the synagogue would say, do you have anything to exhort us about? The house church movement takes a lot from that pattern of informal gathering. I'm not saying that's exactly the way it ought to be in the New Testament church. We see, we see a more structured form in the New Testament of pastors, teachers, the congregation, etc. But regardless, Jesus is addressing this pattern of the Pharisees teaching in the synagogue from the law of Moses. And they did it not the way we do it here, standing in a lectern. They would actually read standing pass the scroll to the president of the synagogue, and then they would sit down to teach. So when Jesus says, in the cathedra of Moses, in the chair of Moses, the Pharisees sit, he's referring to that reality of them teaching, sitting from the Torah of Moses. Now, it's very interesting that the Lord says, whatever they tell you to do, do it. Don't do according to their deeds, because they preach, but they do not do. But what they say, you have to do it. Why? Because, it, because of the imprimatur of Scripture. They are teaching from the Bible. They are teaching from the law. Therefore, regardless of the messenger, the message has authority on its own. Last week we had a baptism, and Freddie was baptized three people. From, from our congregation. Well, the person who baptized me ended up apostatizing the faith. And the one who married me, I think is in the faith, but it's kind of a weird scenario. The point is, that doesn't invalidate my baptism. And God forbid anything happens to Freddie, that doesn't invalidate the baptism because it was done under the authority of the Word of God. The same goes with marriage. Well, Jesus is saying, what the Pharisees are teaching, when they do it from the Word of God, is valid. And is not to be rejected. Many times we reject the message because of the messenger. And it is true. If the messenger is not living according to what he's preaching. I don't want to hear that messenger. But if the message is right. Don't reject the message. Secondly. Those Pharisees. Those religious hypocrites. In other words. Us. Who have this public persona this religious pretension before people, all of us, including the one who is talking to you right now, the second characteristics we have <laughs> is double standard. 
What do I mean by a double standard? Well, verse 3 says, They preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. And they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Jesus is describing the sin of hypocrisy. Now, I want to make a statement, which is fair. We have levels of of hypocrisy. Some of us are Pharisees in recovery. So we know we are Pharisees, but we're we're fighting, right? You cannot stand stand up and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm a perfectly transparent person of integrity and uh, honesty. If you think that of yourself, please rethink it and go back to the cross. But you can say, I know, but, but, but I'm, I'm really at the shadow of the cross. <laughs> I am fighting it, nail and teeth under God and by his grace. So I hope that I'm talking to a lot of people in that circumstance. But this is the reality. Pharisees are hypocrites. The word hypocrite comes from, uh, from the etymology of what an actor was. An actor in the Greek days, was the one who stood under a mask. Hupos Krator. Krator was the mask, and as they were playing their roles, they would put on a mask, holding it by a little stick, and they would be portraying whatever uh, character they were acting. And sometimes it happens with actors. We, We admire what they do. We think they are able to do the things they portray in their movies. And unless they are Tom Cruise who's kind of crazy with all of his stunts, normally those actors in real life are very different to the person they portray. Well, that's the point of a hypocrite. He's just playing a role. He's just playing a character under a mask. Hupos Kratos, hypocrite. And they tie heavy yokes, perhaps, and I'm saying this perhaps because it's not in the text. I'm speculating here. Jesus is thinking about people who are conquered by a more powerful enemy or army. And once they were conquered or they were enslaved, they would be given this yoke, a bended piece of wood to put on their shoulders with two endings from where you would hang things. And they would use those yokes to carry water, to carry log, to carry food, whatever it was, grains from the market. And you would see them with this huge yoke carrying heavy burdens because they were the slaved or they were the conquered ones. Jesus uses that imagery, perhaps, and again I'm speculating, to describe this characteristic of the religious hypocrite. And it is that perhaps encapsulated in that phrase of talk is cheap. They talk, talk, talk. And in their talking, they use their spiritual authority to create double standards. They preach, but they do not practice. It is a lot easier to be a motivational speaker than to stay motivated. I I say this with respect, with a sense of, of sadness, it is nice to see in YouTube those, those statements from Robin Williams motivating people. Yeah, but he committed suicide. So change the messenger for me. 
I don't want to hear motivational speeches from somebody who couldn't take it. Now, was he sick? Did he have an issue that I cannot comprehend or judge? That's another story, and I don't want to go there. But the point is, well, the, messenger, the messenger's testimony, the messenger drinking the, the syrup that he is prescribing is important too. Don't be my, my, my heart doctor if you drink and smoke all the time every day. Because it's not going to help me to really take my heart condition seriously. It is a lot easier to teach how to sell than to sell. I, when we go to those Komatsu training places that you get to operate the machines, they show you the machine inside out, they give you all these technical trainings, and you see these this engineers telling us what to tell the customer. Yeah. Very nice in a PowerPoint with a room full of friendly people. Now, go get to the mine and tell this guy who's ready to, to tear your head off that, yeah, that your product is better because of this, this, and that. And you guys should do that, and you will do in that. You will notice how easy it is to sell. Really? Because it's a lot easier to teach how to do something than to do it. And those morality teachers bind the oppressed. Let me give you a trick about the ministry. Don't tell anyone I told you that. Don't tell our pastor I told you that. Don't tell Dido I told you that. But let me give you this trick about the ministry. It is a lot easier to pray on the weak. It is a lot easier to admonish, rebuke, demand, press upon those who are already broken. Those who are really hardened and who are a real and royal pain in the neck. Oh, we treat them with so much nicety and so much carefulness so they don't leave the church. Well, leave. But don't oppress the weak. And that's what teachers of morality do. They pray on the weak. They tie heavy burdens of morality on people's shoulders while privately they live filthy lives. Don't we see it time after time? We, we, don't, we don't need to see the, the Hillsong documentary and, on Netflix to realize that. We don't need to read the newspapers and, and see all the, this falling of pastors and preachers and priests and people in power. We, we don't need to read the news about, about this Republican senator uh, condemning gays but at the same time being groped and, 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 and making out with her boyfriend at a child, children's uh, theater and presentation, right? Because it's very easy to condemn what I don't practice. But then inside, I have this filthy life. And Jesus says, beware, that exists. And that exists in church. Remember crossing from Gethsemane, there's a church there, but it's Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, and crossing back to the old Jerusalem. And as we were crossing, we had to go through this valley, and there was a cemetery. Jewish cemeteries are white. They have all these white tombstones. You don't see color things. You don't see majestic uh, uh, things like you see in our cemeteries. They are mostly white. They are 
entirely white. And Jesus says, you are whitewashed tombs, hypocrites. You appear shiny and white on the outside, but inside you are filled with rottenness and dead bones. That's what he's describing about morality teachers. I remember visiting many years ago a church in California. This is almost 20 years ago. And there was this young man that I had to deal with his family and minister to his family. And he would tell me, I would go to the pastor with my struggles about assurance of salvation. And when I would go to him, he would say, try harder, try harder. You need to try harder. At the same time, the pastor was molesting his underage daughters, sisters and stealing money from the church. Because it is easier to tell people, try harder. It is easier, it is easier to tell the weak soul and put a burden on them. Filled with filthiness. Let me give a little note to parents of young children and of young adults. Our children know what makes us tick. We can say a lot of things with our mouths. We can say, oh, this, that, moralize them, tell them what not to do, to be careful of things. But they read through us. They have x-ray superman eyes. When it comes to reading what really takes us, we cannot pass fast ones by them. They may pretend, but they know. Thirdly, religious hypocrites love moral theatrics. Verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Phylacteries were these little boxes where you would put scripture inside. The practice of having phylacteries actually comes from the Torah, comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, these are the commandments that I give to you today to be on your hearts, says the Lord. Impress them upon your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So these phylacteries would have little portions of the Torah so that you would remember the Torah. And then the tassels, the fringes on the, on the clothing, also had a, an origin in Scripture, in the Torah. In the book of Numbers, chapter 15, verses 38 through 39. Speak to the Israelites and tell them that throughout their generations they are to make tassels for the corners of their garments and put a blue cord on the tassel at each corner. Why? These will serve as tassels for you to look at so that you may remember all the Lord's commandments. So yes, God is commanding those things. And what did the Pharisees do with that? What does the religious hypocrite do with that? Let me use them as a show of piety. Let me use them to display how godly I really am. See, what was the purpose of the commandment? In Deuteronomy was hear the word of God. Hide them in your heart and speak about it and meditate about it and think about it always. And in Numbers, the same thing. Hear the word of God, hide it in your heart, teach it to your children, put it on your home, deal with it everywhere. Whether you are at work, 
on the road, on the field, at home, outside, use always the word of God, meditate on it, may it fill your speech. That's the whole purpose of the commandment. What did the Pharisees do? They forgot the spirit of the law and went after the easy part. And what is the easy part? The external. It's always easier to deal with the external. It's always easier to have a clean cut and appear nice on the outside and be very strict and very rigid than to really deal with the heart. It's always easy to go for the outside. Just a reminder of Matthew 6, 1, what Jesus told his disciples. Beware of practicing your righteousness before people. Otherwise, you will not receive a reward from your Father in heaven. Do not do anything to be noticed by men. I tease with some friends because you never get these prayer letters from certain types of churches. And after four or five years without hearing from anybody, you get this prayer letter. Dear brethren, it's been a while. We don't pray for you or we don't hear from you. Let me communicate to you that this week we baptized a person. Really? I mean, you spent four years not talking to us and you're writing to say that you baptized one person? Beware of practicing your righteousness to be noticed by men using sometimes even the prayer sheet to display what we're doing. No. Jesus says, guard your heart against those things. Fourthly, Pharisees or religious hypocrites love honor-seeking. Verses 6 and 7, they love the place of honor in banquets and synagogues, and they love the greetings in the marketplaces and be being called rabbi. You know what is that? That the Thirst for becoming viral is not new. Wanting to be viral didn't start with the internet and social media. Wanting to be viral started creation. He's a thirst for praise. He's a thirst for honor. He's a thirst for glory. And who was the first one who had that? It was not Adam. It was the devil. It was Satan. I will ascend to the sides of the north and I will build my throne and I will be like the most high. That's the root of every sin. I want to be the captain of my soul. I want to be my own God. I want to call the shots. I want to be the lead dog. I want to be on, at the top of the totem pole. That's the root of every insatisfaction or dissatisfaction, however you use it, and frustration and sadness, we have that I'm not in charge. And here's Jesus saying, beware. He accused the Pharisees of rejecting him because they loved the glory of men more than the glory of God. We were teasing this morning because when I was, I was, I was walking in, Victor, Troy, and Freddie stopped me. Remove your jacket. Here's the mic. Let me insert the mic. Oh, put it well. Put it in the right place. And another one is fixing my, my jacket and fixing my lapel and whatever it is. Doesn't it feel great to be cared for by three guys in the church? It feels awesome. Jesus says that's what the Pharisees like. To be called doctor, to be called pastor, to be called reverend, to be treated with respect. Beware. 
And then he says, he doesn't say, but that's my second point. And last, take off the mask. Take off the mask. Throw it away. Stop the acting. Stop the theatrics. Why? Verse 8. You are not to be called any one rabbi on earth. You have one teacher. And you are all brothers. You know what is that? That in redemption, all of us are on level ground. We are exactly at the same level. There's no ranks. There's no platforms. Gold medal, silver, bronze. Not in the kingdom. You are all brothers and you have one teacher who is a Christ. And nothing puts us faster in our place than to remember where we come from. When you're struggling with pride, go visit that wandering Aramean that used to be my father. That's what the Jews were instructed to say when they would come to worship. My father Abraham was just an Aramean wandering through the desert. He was an idolater in Ur of the Chaldeans and God called him and gave him all these promises by grace. Just remember that. When you forget, where were you taken from? Nothing will make us more transparent and more real than spending frequent time before God. Because when you are spending time before God and you really are in the presence of God, not just going through the motions, not just writing the check mark. I read my chapters today and I pray, blah, 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 and then go. No, 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 no. When you're spending time before God, that will bring you to reality because it is impossible to brag or to boast in God's presence. It is impossible. To understand who God is. Consuming fire. The almighty. The invisible. The all wise God. The almighty God. Before whom the angels shake. Heavens drip. Know what the imagery of the heavens drip right? Heavens pee before the presence of God. That's the imagery. So you're going to go say. Thank you Lord. I'm not like other people. I'm s- what a nice shot. What a trophy you got when you got me. You're in the presence of God. And you know who God is. That ain't happening through your mind. So practice the presence of God frequently. And that will remind you that we are on level ground in redemption. But we're also on level ground in our identification. Verse 9. And call no man your father on earth. For you have one father who is in heaven. What identifies you? Your job? First question we ask a stranger. Or one of the first ones. Hey, what's your name? Oh, I'm Michael Ruxman. What do you do for a living? Well, I used to be in the Air Force, and I was a navigator in all these super planes, and now I'm retired. Right? That's what we do. I'm a teacher. I'm a salesman. I'm an engineer. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. Our identity is not in our job, in our race, in our profession, in the roles we play. Our identity is... Uh, have been given to us in the fact that we are heirs of God. And as Tim Keller says, our identity is not something we have achieved by performance. It is something that has been given to us by grace. 
You're an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ. And also Christians are on level ground in their sanctification. Verse 10. Neither be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ. There are no ranks in the kingdom. There are different gifts, different manifestations, different talents, different, even different stages of growth. Yes, First John speaks of that. Some are children, some are young people, some are elder or fathers. Yes. You may be in a different stage in your growth, but at the end of the day, there's one thing that characterizes them all. You have overcome because you have known him. Wherever you are, you are because you have come to know God. And we are on equal standing at the foot of the cross. And who is truly the greatest? Jesus says in verses 11 through 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That is a picture of who? Jesus, of course, amen. The only one who is really the greatest is our Savior. To him was given the name above all names. To him has been given the kingdom of God. And the kingdom is now of God and of our Christ. Why? Because he humbled himself to the point of becoming obedient, of not regarding equality with God something to grasp but becoming obedient, even obedient to the point of death and death on a cross. For that, God exalted him and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee on heaven and on earth and under the earth should bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a description of Jesus. Now we are called to follow in his footsteps and to imitate him, of course. You want greatness? Be the servant. You want honor? Don't look for it. Serve God in secret. Practice your righteousness where nobody sees. So my final question is, which one is really us? Who is you? Or who are you? Who is me? Or who am I? The professional? The public persona? The one who posts on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? Or the one my wife and my children see? Or the one God sees when even they are not present? Do you have a friend who knows who you are? Do you have a wife or husband who knows who you are? Accountability partners. Yes, accountability partners are good. They bring us to the cross. I have people that I tell them. Tell them, listen, I'm struggling with this. I even have friends in the ministry that I tell them about my secret heresies. And I call heresies things that I used to believe that I no longer believe. They know. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what they are. And, and, and I don't think it's anything damning by the word, by the way. But I, say, I struggle with this. I used to die for this doctrine or for this practice. And I don't anymore. They know. Because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to cause disturbing to any, to any person either. I don't want to shake your standards or your conscience on things. But some people know what I struggle with. Jesus was the hardest 
against religious hypocrites. Observe Jesus dealing with the broken. Observe Jesus with the Samaritan woman, with the demon possessed, with Mary Magdalene, with the widow of Nain. Observe Jesus with those who were really broken. Observe him with those who were righteous, who thought they had all the shots. They had it right and everybody was wrong. Please observe him. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Solomon says it is better to humble the spirit with the broken than to divide a spoil with the proud. May the Lord break us to heal us. May the Lord humble us to exalt us with his son. Amen. Father, bless your word, we pray. And help us to, to be transparent, to be free in Christ, in our identity in him. Help us to be free of performing, of pretending, of hiding, of dodging. Help us to pursue holiness in the joy of the grace of Christ bestowed upon us as sinners who are now freely saved and sanctified and justified. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.